I'm Scott Farber. This good-looking guy across from me is former New York Giant, current president of the NFL Player Association, the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter, host of the Extra Point TV show seen on the GBCTV.net online network, co-host of the podcast, the TEP podcast with me, Memphis living legend, and possibly soon the man of the year in Fort Worth. He's Larry Mallory. It's good to see you, Scott. Hey, man, there is so much to talk about. It's going to be a little hodgepodge today. So let me start with something fun. Okay. You, you know, and I know you don't know this is that coming. It must have been difficult for you to find something fun. That, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know. Um, but this this I got a kick out of. You know, last time we were talking about Mike Trout and his $430 million. And, you know, we are saying if the player could get it, let him get it. Yeah. Good for him. You know, and I'm glad for him. I don't know how teams could pay that, but that's another thing. So Trout has been in the league eight years. And I went and pulled the, the baseball reference stats on him, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth. Because they're talking about Trout to become one of the all-time greats. And, you know, Aaron, uh, Ruth is always considered the number one player. Aaron is always the worst I've ever seen was number five. Yeah. You know, and higher than that. But <clears throat> here's the deal. So Trout has played eight years, and for a 162-game average... He's averaging 589 at-bats a year, 121 runs a year, 181 hits, 37 homers, 99 RBIs, and 152 strikeouts. Now, Hank Aaron's were on par. uh, Well, he's on par with Hank Aaron. Aaron averaged 600 bats a year, 607, 185 hits, 37 homers also, 113 RBIs, only 69 strikeouts. And let me see one other stat here. Let me see. Uh, um, Trout would average 121 runs a year, where Aaron would average 107. So their stats are comparable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike Trout's going to be making one, uh, $2.1 million a month for the next 13 years. Hank Aaron earned two point. Almost $2.2 million in a career. Right. <laughs> okay, now let me just take it one step further to Babe Ruth. Because Babe Ruth's numbers are better than everybody still. So Babe Ruth, um, he would only average about 544 at-bats a year, less than those two guys. Mm-hmm. He scored 141 runs a year, wow. more than anybody. 186 hits a year, it's a couple more than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Trout actually had one more double each year than Ruth. Ruth had a couple more triples. Ruth had 46 home runs. But here's a big one. Ruth had 143 RBIs. Trout only has 99 a year. And Aaron 107. And then Ruth walked 133 times. Way more than the other guys. Mm -hmm. And he only struck out 86 times a year. You know, it tells me that... But uh, Trout's batting average in his eight-year career is like 307. Aaron's was 305 for his 23 years. Ruth was 22 years at 300, uh, 342 his batting average. Wow. So <clears throat> Mike Trout, you know, they're trying to tout him as one, you know, could be up there, but he's got to do this another 15 years to hold those numbers, yeah, just to remain comparable to those guys. Yeah, and and the game. It, it, one question I have before I, I have a statement though. In those days, did they play the same number of games in baseball? Uh, I think Ruth played, it was 154. 154. And then they went to the 162. Yeah. So Ruth played played a little bit less. But still had better stats. 
Oh yeah, you know, yeah, that's and, and in the dead ball era when he still hit more home runs than whole teams. Yeah. You know, um, I've, I've heard so many arguments. I, I, I had a, a former client who became a good friend of mine, uh, Bill from Capitol Records. Mm. And Bill used to argue with me, you know, Barry Bonds, he says, is the greatest baseball player. And I'd always say Babe Ruth is. And he go, well, how could you say that? Well, I said, well, Babe Ruth batted 342 for a career, Bonds about 300. And they both hit, you know, over 700 home runs. And Barry Bonds was a great outfielder. So was Ruth. But Babe Ruth also had 96 or 7 wins as a pitcher. And a couple of World Series wins as a pitcher. Mm -hmm. As soon as Barry Bonds gets 90 wins as a pitcher, then we could have that discussion. Who the greatest player is. That's true. I I totally agree with that perspective. But one thing I can probably predict on uh, Mike Trout is that... um, He's pretty good. Well, he he will never have to face divorce. <laughs> no, she'll never go. Yeah, yeah, right. The future is set. You, you said that very mean. <laughs> well, she'll never go. She will. She won't. Is he even married? Oh, well, that's a good point. If he if he's not married, then there's a lot of interest in Mike Trout right now from the uh, you know from 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 from, from the female population. That's well, you know, you know, you, you look at it this way. He's in his 20s. He's a real good-looking guy. He's a professional athlete. And before this new contract, he was doing okay anyway. Yeah, that's true. I, I, that's true. I don't think he's going to attract any more women, really. I mean, you know... Um, um, well, that's true, because the volume is probably up there right now. Yeah, so yeah. so look, trying to get look, another one on the team is hard. You know, you're an old man. What are you thinking about here, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let me ask you a question. Johnny Manziel... I saw some highlights of him in, in an AAF game the other day. Mm-hmm. I don't have any stats or anything, but he's looking, he looked really good. So my question is, is this the level that he could excel in? And then you go to the Canadian Football League and you don't excel because it's a level up. You know, is that, is that why? Or is he maturing a little bit? What, what do you think the story is with this? Well, you know, Johnny, Johnny has had a tremendous amount of opportunities. Right, you know, from the uh, obviously from the NFL to Canada and now, and and in the history of his opportunities, it, it it does not seem as if you know he's moving up. It seems as though he's going down. Mm-hmm. And the question that you just asked almost is a question: Has has Johnny Menzel found the level of of play and human interaction that he's comfortable with? And I honestly, I doubt that. Oh, you doubt it? Yeah. Because Johnny comes from, um, you know, a pretty good family, a pretty right, wealthy right. family. And so there's a, a certain amount of, 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 um, of so, challenge that so he's not is, had to go through. This is beneath him, then you're well, saying. Well, no, right I, I, I don't think that's the statement is beneath him. I think that, I think Johnny Menzel has a lot of talent. You know what I mean? For yeah, him to be yeah. able to, to be a, a high draft choice in the NFL, play with all of those things are very positive. But when he gets there, he's not the leader that the position expects. Right, obviously. right, right, right. And so even even with the young man that's at Cleveland now, obviously he's doing something different. They've they've traded for Odell Beckham to come and you know support yeah, him. Yeah, so yeah. it's not that Johnny Manziel. To me, it's that Johnny Manziel is not as much of a leader as his position requires. Right. Well, that's what you always would say about Cutler. All the talent in the world. But in the locker room, he wasn't taking it over. Right. You know, and that's, uh, you know, you know, and you, when you think about that, you really do need the quarterback to be one of the leaders on the team. I totally agree. But in this day and time, with the way millennials approach work. Right, right. 
if you're not holding up to, especially in this game, if you're not holding up to your responsibilities, but you're still being paid to those responsibilities, they'll go in and ask you as the owner, listen, let me get more money. Right, right. All right, now since I told you we're going to be switching gears back and forth all day today, I'm going to switch gears again with you now. Okay. 22 months uh, of this Mueller report. And it's, what I don't understand about it is that you spend 22 months, this entire nation, Trump supporters, people who didn't support Trump, everybody's sitting on their edge of their seat wanting to see what's going to go on. And then we're told we can't see it. Congress can't see it, and it goes to the uh, um, the attorney general. general, and he and the assistant attorney general are the only two people that have been allowed to see this report in its entirety. Yeah. Why why did we even do the report? Because then I heard that even if they subpoena Mueller, there's going to be classified information that he can't talk about. So my question to you, Larry, where does classified information go? I mean, yeah. you, you know. Did Mueller do this twenty-two months for two people? No, I. I mean, I mean, I don't understand the point of all this now. I, I don't either. I, I think that I think what it's going to highlight, though, is it's going to highlight the American checks and balances. You know, I think the American system is one of hope and opportunity, right? And obviously, a debate. Right. You right. have two parties and. All, you know, all that whole situation. So, I, but, but see, that's, that's where I lose it a little bit right now. The two parties. It, it's like, it's two parties, but it's one country. We, you, you know, it's like, you, you know, when I get into political discussions with my friends, and I always try to keep it even keel with everybody, we all want the same things. I mean, I mean Republicans don't want anything different than what Democrats want. People want peace. They want to be able to feed their family. They want insurance. But look at what's going on. So when I see this report that comes out, you know, like this, and we're not going to be allowed to see it, what's the check and balance? Well, first, I, I don't necessarily agree that we won't be allowed to see it yet. Why, why are we going to have to fight to see it? Uh, now, that's a, that's well, a Why question. wasn't I'm done? Here it is. And that's, a, that's, the, that's the checks and balances that I refer to. I don't think that either side is going, hopefully either, either side will outweigh the other. And I totally agree with your perspective that what is the highest level of commitment in this country? Is it to a party or is it to becoming a true American? And as, as, a, as an American, all of us living in the same environment, on and on and on, I think that that hopefully will prevail in this back and forth discussion. When you have, though, challenged leadership, it's much more difficult for that to prevail. Right. And I think that that's where I think checks and balances will come in. That's why I think the voting system is very important in the way it works. One of my challenges, though, is why are we not paying more attention to the voting system that was possibly affected? Well, no, they, they said it was affected. That's right. You're right. Not possibly yeah, affected. Yeah. Well, see, that's, that, that's my question. We're so worried about what what Trump might have done, yeah. I don't think that's as, nearly as important as what Russia did do, and what are we doing to prevent it for next time? The systematic attack. There is no, you know, they keep saying there's nothing really being done, and they've actually lessened the, uh, the work in that category. So it, it's, 
you know, that's going to become much more in play than did Trump talk to somebody. Yeah. You, you know, um, I mean, um, and the other thing that I don't like, you know, and I, and I don't like to really pick sides, but I just don't like hearing about an enemies list now. Yeah. You, you know, that just concerns me. You know, that, that's not where we want to go. No, it, it's not. And uh, again, I think that, I think American checks and balances are going, hopefully will come right. to play. Right. Or we have a military system, a police system that I don't think can be turned. Right, right. You know, the way that, that we've seen some foreign dictators right, turn right. their right. military presence, Venezuela and those kinds right, of things. Right, right. So that's where I, I truly believe that we are still the bastion of hope for the world. I don't want to give up on us. Uh, but I we know seem to be acting well, really nuts. We yeah. are acting. Well, I don't, I don't know if we're acting nuts or if people are viewing our leadership as making or acting nuts. You follow me? And if yeah. we use it's a our bad situation balance, right now, yeah, huh? it's and, just it's just bad now because. Be, and when I say bad, I'm not so concerned about what the senators, the president, or the Congress people are doing. I'm more concerned about the public, the reaction to everything. <clears throat> you know, I, I, you know, people always follow politics now. I think more so than ever. But I don't like seeing the meanness in the masses. Yeah. That's what's bothering me. I'm sure that that the congressmen. I always said that they put on a show in front of the cameras and behind the scenes they're out to dinner with each other. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. I do too. I, I mean, I remember. Um, there was this special on the 100 years of the White House. It was on uh, C-SPAN. And I flipped over just to watch it for a minute. And in the background was Hillary and Bill Clinton sitting with George and Barbara Bush. Now, we know that they became good friends. Mm -hmm. But this was when uh, Bush's son and Clinton's vice president were battling in the Supreme Court to see who was going to be the next president. So I'm going, okay, here are the two sides, but not on camera that they know of. They're just caught on camera, sitting there and laughing and high-fiving, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, and it, and it really said to me, see, you know, behind the scenes, what we don't see, these people all get along. Yeah, you know, and, and then we hear about the friendships, you know, between, uh, you know, the sides, you know, that you would think would be mortal enemies. I don't think it's really the case with them. I think a lot of it is show, you know, to fight for their party, you know, on issues. Yeah, yeah. And then the American people, we're all taking it way too hard. Well, you know, you, you talk about meanness. Um, as soon as you said that the things that the GBC, uh, that the General Broadcast Center right. does, and the meanness is in some ways exonified or, or, or built up because of our social media, TV. Right, right. And so your decision to promote the positive contributions of professional athletes, your right. decision, the GBC decision to promote the positive stories and histories of families, to capture the, the lifestyles of the, of the military vets, those are the things that I think are much more much more um, magnetic. Right, right. Because what's happening now is that all we see is the meanness. If you go right. on Facebook and they see the bad stuff, not the good right. stuff. Right. So the things that GBC is, GBC is doing, I think, is going to set a wave right. for a lot of people. So we got to keep doing well, it. Well, you know, you know what's funny, too, along those lines, is my son is always telling me that how we ruined everything for the millennials. Right. And I'm sitting here going, 
you guys with your social media are destroying everything. You guys got to be careful, millennials. You know, you know, you know, because you got to put something on there that attracts. Right. So it has to be weird. Right. You right. Know what right. I mean? So right. we're capturing more weird stuff, but I believe that there is more good stuff going on than the weird stuff, and therefore the things that you guys that your company is right, doing, right. I think, is is well, helping all, to kill the meanness. There's always there's always good stuff going on. That's what bothers me. It's like you know, I keep telling people. What's happening is are the masses are getting against each other, which is you know the wrong thing. Well, you know, in in um, um, well, at least we, we at least at least we took bump stocks out. Well, that's right. So. You know, now I, I uh, spoke this past weekend at a Texas French symposium for forty-five area high schools in the Plano area, mm-hmm. and it was called La Normandy, um, and they wanted me to come and speak about World War Two. And all these different events in the war that led up to D-Day, oh, yeah. you, you know. So I was I was thrilled to do that, you know. And I basically showcased a lot of people and told a lot of stories of people that I've interviewed over the years, you know. Uh, um, you know, we like to refer to ourselves as the Museum of Historical Events, right. told by the people that lived them. But it, but it was fascinating to me because you know when I'm talking to the kids and everything, you know, you have a realization is that, you know, I always tell them, is that uh, I have them think about the generations before them, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, and they don't necessarily know their stories. And I always explain how you have them, the sacrifices they all made, for them to have the lifestyles that they have in this country today, you know, in the greatest country, you know, in the world. And, um, um, And I always include in that to always think veterans, because without the veterans it'd be very different in this country too. So, you know, it's just interesting. But it's interesting to me because World War II to high school kids is like the Civil War to you and me. Ancient, ancient history. The only difference is that they still have some people alive from World War II that they could talk to and get their stories that aren't necessarily in history books. That's a good point. So I just, you know, I, you know, I just found that interesting. Yeah. All right, moving on. Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> so his daughter goes to USC and gets accepted, and he brags on a uh, on social media how his daughter gets in on her own, no jail time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the story comes out that in 2013, he and his producer. Um, donated $70 million to USC to build the uh, um, Jimmy Levine, I think that's how he says his name, Levine, mm-hmm. uh, his, his producer, and Andrew Young, who was Dr. Dre, the uh, building for the Academy of Arts. Dr. Dre's name is Andrew Young? Andrew Young. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I'm sitting here going, a $70 million donation, and amazingly, six years later, your daughter gets in all on her own. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's wonderful that he donated $70 million to an institution. Very, very nice. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. But I think his daughter wasn't going to have a problem. Well, you know, timing is everything. And, and for this story to come out right now, and so many of the uh, the one percenters, you know, they're finding out about their children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that That's a tough little situation. I saw somewhere, though, that they were interviewing a college student. And the college student actually stated that her friend, whose parents were very wealthy, 
really shouldn't be in the class because she never went to class and never had to do anything. So it does have an impact, you know, on, on the kids that have to focus on, you know, doing things. If, if you've given $70 million, you can probably not necessarily have to go to class all the time. Yeah, know? yeah. well, and then, you know, <coughs> does she really need to go to class? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. If, if Daddy gave $70 million, he must have a few more in the bank. Yeah, I think he probably would. You know, yeah. uh, well, good for him, though. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Know, you know, good for him. All right, Rob uh, Gronk, Gronkowski, has retired. Do you know that he turns 30 in May? He's a baby. <laughs> he is. He's a baby. Good decision? Um, I think we talked about when the Super Bowl was out in San Francisco, and I attended a meeting of three-year players. Right. Players that knows that they can receive a pension. And the meeting was basically focusing on the fact that we're not going to play 10, 15 years. Right, right. And, you know, not be able to play with our kids. Right. We're going to try to get an education first. Right. From college. Right. We're, we're contributing to the school. Then when we get out, we, we, we have pretty good minimum salaries now. Right. So let's focus on getting our vestation. Right. So that we get a pension. Right. And so... From that perspective, I can understand, especially someone like Gronk, because he he's not only, um, he's been a tremendous athlete. I mean, I going back to some of the early tight ends, Gronk is 6'8", hard to cover, has right, some good right. speed. And so, for, from that perspective, I think Gronk probably has made a good decision. You know, he has enough money, he's done commercials, he has even his family. Well, I think, I think his endorsements are going to grow now, because yeah. that's going to be his job. Yeah. So he's going to probably make a lot of money. Probably more than yeah. what he... he yeah, he and, and, you know, he, and he probably doesn't need any money at this point. But, you know, he did play nine years. Right. He had a nine-year career. Right. That's way past the average. Well, it is, it is. Um, it, but, what, but what do you do when you're 30 now? I, I mean... Is he going to be able to transition real easily? Yeah. In fact, he'll probably be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, open a business or continue, like you say, to support businesses. And, and I can tell you, I can give you one perfect example. Right now, if you're looking at American television. Right. Probably the most consistent person on American television outside of the regular TV shows. Right. Is Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, He's the general. Yeah, 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 He's yeah. pain. He's dancing. So Gronk has a Gronk has a path that's been laid for him, yeah. especially someone with that size, too tall. He's yeah. that size, that type of successful career. They'll walk into oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a good capital. Well, and his appearance fees too. Yeah. You know, uh, um, yeah. But he had a heck of a career. Look at you know, <laughs> it's always easier to chase records than to set records. Yeah. But what does he have to prove? How many rings does he have? He, he's, he, you know, and then, and then yet um, his grandfather, who's the quarterback, yeah, right, <laughs> is, keeps going. And he keep, and, and and he'll be like Charles Haley, you know, they'll they'll get invited to be paid to come to places just to show the four or five Super Bowl rings. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, but I mean, you know, Brady is past forty and has no signs of slowing down. You know, so I mean, it's it, it's amazing. But I thought he made a very good decision. I, I you, you know, of course, Brady never gets tackled. He never gets hit. Uh, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, Rob would get hit a few times. He, he does. He, he does. You know. Does. All right. So we got the NFL draft coming up. Is there anything that you see that's going to be earth shaking in the draft? Our teams positioned well. You know, um, I think I think as it relates to the draft, the first thing that hits me hard is the fact that it's in the city that I went to college. It's in Nashville this year. Right. And I got a chance to talk to Ross Browner, who is the local. Uh, the local gentleman, the local president of the Nashville chapter. Right. And they're excited. They have it yeah. all set up downtown Nashville. They got this big stage that he was telling us that that uh, the players will walk on to. So it's going to be a really public event. And I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I think that Nashville has grown and strengthened exponentially, you know, having the professional team there and, and the country music yeah, system yeah. there has always been well, you know, you know, it, it, it's amazing to me because I've been going to Nashville, you know, we're, you know, because uh, the record labels are our clients for the uh, ad agency, and I've been going there um, um, for over twenty years. Yeah. And when I started going there, Nashville was this neat small town with a lot of country music stars that could sit in their own offices on the streets. You know, people would wouldn't bother them; they'd walk around and talk. Uh, we represented also a hospital in Nashville, Baptist Hospital, years ago. Mm-hmm. And every one of those stars did commercials for Baptist. Garth Brooks' kids were born there. Okay. And it was so funny to hear um, um, the people from the hospital would call me and say, they are, at every entrance, hundreds of people at every entrance waiting to get a glimpse of Garth walking in to see his wife and babies. Yeah. And I said, well, how does he get through all those crowds? She goes, he just parks at the front door and walks in. There's nobody at the front door because nobody thinks he would go in the front door. <laughs> right. And then all the rumors how um, um, they built special walls. They built extra walls to, to put her off in the middle of nowhere. She was in a maternity room like everybody else, yeah. you know, his wife. So, I mean, you know, it's just interesting. But over the years, they got the football team. They got the hockey team. That city is just... and and. The country music has become very mainstream, and it is just right, and has taken off. And Taylor Swift, who now moved over to pop, but started in country, you know, you know, just took the reins from you know from like the Garth Brooks uh, of the world. And it's that city is so vibrant and such a big major city now, and everything is still very close. Yeah. You know, and it always amazes me. It's like they're gonna just—it's just, just gonna burst. When, it's just uh, become another big city. We, I was asking um, um, some of the guys there, former players that live there, and the way that the first the way that they describe Nashville is Larry. You know, Nashville used to be a six-dollar margarita town. Now it's a sixteen-dollar margarita yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so. You know, that—that's Larry, folks. <laughs> right. that, that, that's on what's on the top of his mind. All right, man, are we getting out of here for lunch, or do you got something you got to tell me? Um, we're probably going to get out for lunch. Um, you know, Well, not probably. We are going to get out for lunch, but what did you want to say? Well, with the, the Margaret Stone and Douglas situation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Thank you for bringing that up. But, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's just awful. Go ahead. Well, it's just the, the it, it shows the aftermath of tragedy. Yeah. Uh, we've had another. We have two children that have committed suicide, and now we have a parent that's committed suicide. And you know that, you know that as the NFL Players Association, we support the um, the 22 kill program for the military 
22 veterans commit suicide a day. You know that uh, with Ken Watterson and Charlene Jones, right. Johns, we have started the Stop One program, which is an app that allows the wives or the relatives of, of victims that felt that they might be headed towards suicide to hit this app and resources will come. So when I, when I um, you know, for there to be such a tragedy there, for the bump stock situation to be going out, right, I, I right. like what the Supreme Court did from that perspective. Right. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, and then the other thing, we talked a little about Avenatti, but we didn't talk about Nike. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> because he did, uh, it was a little surprising how Nike's name ends up being a lot of places, you know, from Colin Kaepernick now to Avenatti. That's a, right, right. That's a pretty interesting... What, what happened to Avenatti? Uh, well, it seems as though he attempted to, to uh, embellish or, or get money from uh, Nike... By, by releasing the fact that he had uncovered that Nike had paid some college athletes. Well, he had become some kind of a media darling. He was talking about running for president, That's and now true. he's going to be fighting to keep that. himself out of jail. That's a good point. That's a good point. He should have, I think he's having some kind of a public, uh, public interview today to try to... Straighten it out so, Yeah, that was interesting. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, though, is Jesse Smollett. I don't know where that's going. This is Chicago P Police Department. All of a sudden... All charges dropped. All charges dropped. So those are the things that I knew that... Actually, I thought that you have a lot of information on that because you love Chicago. You know, let me, th let me tell you something. I'm so ready for baseball season. <laughs> I agree. You. You know, My going, child is, too. I I'm going to see the Cubs play the Rangers. <laughs> okay. You, you know, right. on opening weekend. I, I, I mean, it's like... I just want to sit there and not care, you know, ball outside. Okay, strike, ground ball, hit a home run, Yeah. get me a hot dog, you, you yeah. know. Because yeah. now, now it's, it's uh, clicking on the TV, finding out differences. It's just, you know, it's, I'm ready for baseball to take me away from all of this. You know, let's just sit and watch a ball game. You know, my wife actually has, she showed me the other day, she was so affected by the uh, Parkland shooting that time that she had stored the information in her phone, and she still has it. So she still had pictures of the kids that were murdered. Wow. In her phone, she showed me the other day. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it just affects us. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, tragedy affects But that brings us together. It's just a shame we have to keep having these tragedies. I totally agree. You know, um, um, yeah, so anyway, well, well better better times ahead, man. <laughs> let's right. let's go eat. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.